Good morning, church. Um, my name is Savannah Shadi, and I'm a covenant partner here at First Press. Um, this morning, we're going to continue our series, Made for This Moment. God's sovereign grace has formed us for his service during this time and place in history. We have been made by grace, faith, and love. We are made for the works of ministry that Jesus has prepared in advance for us to do. Today we will study Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16, and we will see the beauty of God's diversity for gifting leaders and the church. Discovering, developing, and deploying the gifts God has given by his grace is a faithful response to God's love. God wants to use you, his bride, for this moment. Now hear the word of the Lord. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. Well, good morning, everybody. That's what I'm talking about right there. It is a joy to worship with you this morning. If you have already opened your Bibles, I encourage you to keep them open. We're going to walk through this text together. If you don't have anything open, uh, open your phone or whatever. Uh, Try not to get too distracted. Um, And if you're joining us from home, please do so. Uh, Just follow along in uh, the Word of God. Before we study the Word of the Lord, let's turn to the Lord of the Word together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, and as we approach your word this time, continuing our worship to you, we confess that we oftentimes see our faith as a finish line. Rather than understanding that truly we have been brought from death to life, and we are new creations in you, and as resurrected people, you have a redemptive reality for us to inhabit. Lord, we ask right now that you would highlight the depth of your grace and that you would show us by the power of your spirit what it means to walk in the truth um, of your grace with all of our lips, all of our lives, all of our labor, that you might get glory in everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This week we're going to continue our series, Made for This Moment. In the last few weeks, if you haven't joined us, we have talked about what has made us. As God's people, we are made by grace. We are made by faith, and we are made by love. And we are made for this moment in history, for such a time as this. Saved by grace through faith, not of works. It's a free gift of God. But we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he's prepared in advance for us to do. The next few weeks, we will transition uh, uh, this series looking at how. 
How are we made for this moment? How are we called to participate in this? And we've got to resist this temptation of seeing ourselves as Christians, just coming to the finish line of faith. Well, that's who I am. I'm a Christian. I'm here to worship. Check that box. We're going to move on with the rest of our life. The reality is that when we put our faith in Christ, we are saved from the judgment of God. But we are saved for the works of God. We are set apart for the purposes of God in every place where we walk. We have a new creation. We're resurrected people. When we looked at the foundational passage for this series in Ephesians 10, Paul says it clearly. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. We've been made alive together in Christ. (laughs) Christianity is not just a moral management plan so that you can learn how to be gooder people. (laughs) It's not what it is. Christianity is the business of resurrection. He makes dead people alive. And he calls us to live in this resurrection reality with all of our lives. These are the good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. And so we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 16. Quick context. Uh, We only read those verses, but Ephesians is a cosmic book. It is beautiful, powerful, an epistle. It's written to uh, various churches all throughout Asia Minor. It was a circulatory book. And it begins with the cosmic, cosmic perspective on the sovereignty of God. He is sovereign over everything, so much so that he's working all things according to his counsel of his will, Ephesians 1.11. But at the same time, the already reality of living in a fallen world means that there's still a bunch of spiritual warfare happening. There's a devil who Paul will describe as seeking to get a foothold and is behind all the divisiveness, all the derailing and the discouragement that we struggle in as we live as fallen people in a fallen world. The first three chapters of Ephesians are about standing in the finished work of God. The last three chapters of Ephesians are about walking in the victory of God, being imitators of God, living in the light of God. And the specific context of this passage of Ephesians 4 is talking about unity of the people of God. And unity in Ephesians is majestic. It is beautiful. It is so far from our society right now that if we actually took this serious we would be a more powerful witness than we ever had in our life if we really took unity in Christ more serious than we do. We are uh, unified nationally. Nations are unified in Christ ethnically. All races are unified in Christ. Socioeconomic status, we are all unified in Christ. Paul will say in chapter 2 that the dividing wall of hostility has been knocked down among the people of God. And unity is something that we need to strive for. At the beginning of chapter 4 and verse 3, Paul is commanding people who are standing in the grace of God to walk in unity, that we should be eager to promote unity in everything. But unity, when there is a diversity of realities, sometimes can be difficult, particularly when it comes to spiritual gifts. If you look at the context of this passage, you'll see in Ephesians 4 verse 7 that each person, in the body of Christ, has been gifted by God. Each person. So if you're in Christ, you've been gifted. And you using those gifts is part of the resurrection participation, redeeming the troubles of this world, that God's glory might be seen. 
And the gifts have been given to you from an ascended king. It's really amazing. Because when Paul describes how you have been gifted, you can see it in verse 7 and then 8 and then 9 and 10, heading into this passage, that Jesus, after he resurrected, he ascended into heaven, and from his throne he acted differently than any king you've ever heard of or lived under. Most kings require you to give gifts. Most kings require you to show your loyalty, not this king. He saves you by his grace, and then he shows you more grace, grace upon grace, by sending gifts down to his people so that we can participate in his work of redemptive restoration. It's a powerful picture of grace upon grace. And we've talked about how this moment in history is the moment that God has called us to, to steward these graves, to participate in the work that he's prepared in advance for us to do. It's really amazing. As we look at the casualties that are cascading down from the COVID-19 health crisis indiscriminately, affecting families, individuals, marriages, mental health, emotional health, physical health, all across our society, God has called us to be agents of redemptive restoration. He's called you, and he wants you to use his gifts to do so. So let's look briefly at this passage, beginning at verse 11. And like I said, we're going to walk through these verses together. In verse 11, he gave, that's God, uh, Christ, uh, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. God gave. God gave. Your gifts that you have are not from yourself. You have no place to boast. The gifts that you've been given don't make you better than anyone else, and they don't make you worse than anyone else. God gives you gifts by his grace, and he gives apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. APEST. <laughs> when you do the acronym there, it's APEST. I'm just saving you some time on, on Mr. Acronym Man here. All right. Apostles. Prophets, not like what you read in chapter 3 where Paul says that it's the foundation of the church of the apostles and the prophets. He's speaking there of the uh, writing of Scripture that God chose men carried by the Holy Spirit to write the Holy Word of God and Christ is the cornerstone of that foundation. Here he's talking about leaders in the church. Apostles. These are people who are called to lead the church in expanding the kingdom of God through the church. Apostles, prophets. These are people that are called to take the word of God and apply it to the people of God, drawing us closer to the heart of God. Evangelists. These are people who, who gospel the people of God, always taking us back to the work of Christ and leading us in gospeling our communities. And then we have shepherds. Shepherds are people who are called to lead, guide, guard, and feed the people of God. And finally, teachers. Teachers are those that are skilled and they understand God's word, the word of God, so that they can apply it to all the life of the people of God so that we can have deep roots in the foundation of the word of God. A pest. You can read uh, some stuff by our, you know, I got to put, I got the Synod Executive. Uh, it's so weird, our denomination has a Synod Executive, yes. His name is Dana Allen. And when he talks about this, it's pretty helpful, but he uses the authority of a guy named Alan Hurst. Alan Hurst is an Australian, and if you ever heard him talk, then you can't help but read his books with an Australian accent in your mind. It's kind of fun. It makes it go a little faster. But he says some good stuff on this. It's by no means the final word of APEST, but you can look at what Alan Hurst says, I encourage you to do so. 
But one thing that needs to be clearly noted by all of us is that Apest is not speaking to some uh, fairy tale leadership that doesn't apply to you. Well, that's just speaking to, to leaders in the church, not me, I'm not a leader. The, the Bible explodes that reality. Everybody here speaks the five voices of Apest. All of you are leaders. And you're gifted in different ways. Some apostolic, calling to advance a church. Some prophetic, calling people back to the heart of God and the word of God. Some evangelistic, called to gospel people in the church and through the church. Some to shepherd, some to teach. But all of you are gifted in these ways because you're all leaders. Mitchell, explain this more. I've never thought of myself as a leader. Well, I want to encourage you to think of yourself more like Christ thinks of you. Because when Jesus talks to the apostles, when he sends them out, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Disciples are leaders, people who lead individuals and lead a community. Everybody in the congregation of the people of God are gifted, a pest. And we've got to take time to discover those gifts. You see, when we uh, take the discipleship of our congregation serious individually and corporately, then we're going to see the celebratory realities of verse 7 of chapter 4. All of you have been gifted. Grace was given to each one of you according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Have you ever spoken with somebody who doesn't really know who they are? They're so insecure that they're constantly feeding off of people, constantly trying to say, what do you expect me to be? I want to be that person so you'll like me. You know people that are insecure, they don't know themselves, so they try to find themselves everywhere else? Those people are a pest. <laughs> and people in the church, if you don't know how God's wired you and created you to be, you will be a pest. But if you understand that you are called to be a leader leading people in discipling relationships, individual and corporately, and you celebrate the apest, then you'll discover more of who God has created you to be. What we celebrate, that's going to be what we cultivate. And if you see your religion, your faith in Christ, just as something you have compartmentalized or you've already arrived to because, hey, you're saved from, from your sins, right? Then you're never going to cultivate what God has given to you. I was challenged this month. Uh, this is a calendar that's uh, put up there. Um, this is the calendar from our house. And normally, this calendar with all our kids is filled with sporting events and, and concerts and all kinds of activities we got to go to. And one member of my family this year decided, this month, decided to not really put anything difficult up there. Put a, come a couple of things to celebrate, but also put every single holiday October has that they could find. Did you, I mean, I, I thought, hey, let's celebrate this stuff. Do you know that October has the International Coffee Day? I'm loving me some of that. The International Nonviolence Day, it's there. Uh, International Nacho Day, we celebrated that. I was actually just a national holiday. Rays, did you all know that October is at a 10th? It's actually inter, uh, National Hug-A-Drummer Day. Did you know that? Yeah. Aaron, Aaron, did you celebrate that with your husband? Don't answer. It was kind of rhetorical. It's awkward. Yeah. There's a, there's a national hug a drummer day. <laughs> there's a national feral cat day. Did you know that? One of my kids made pancakes for dinner, awesome, that looked like feral cats with little blueberry eyes. And they made my salad because I can't eat pancakes to look like a cat. I enjoyed eating a cat for dinner, feral cat day. And they also have international sloth day and 
We're all going to celebrate, you know, National Chocolate Day, National Candy Corn Day. Those are all this week, all right? The point is that what we choose to celebrate, that's what's going to be cultivated. And I love the joy that is found in celebrating. Our family has way too much fun in our house. And our church family can have a tremendous amount of fun and joy as we celebrate the gifts that God has given us. And that's the next thing. The leaders uh, are not only gifted um, by gifts of, of Christ, but they're also called to cultivate a diversity of gifts in the church. So the first thing we had was a pest. Now we're going to have what we're going to call the shape test. <laughs> See, the text is clear if you look here at verse 11, uh, verse 12. He gave these gifts, leaders, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building of the body of Christ. Let's just walk through this reality, to equip the saints. Now, Ben Franklin once said that three hard things exist in life, steel, diamonds, and knowing yourself. <laughs> knowing ourselves, we can't be equipped and prepared if we don't know areas where we uh, need to grow or want to grow. Do you know how God has gifted you? It's a real question, do you? Calvin will say in his institutes, it was quoted in Sunday school uh, earlier, um, that the more we know God, the more we know ourselves. Where do you stand on the knowledge of who you are? There's a lot of people that are very excited about the Myers-Briggs test or the Enneagram test and really learning uh, more of how we're wired. Those are great things. But to discover your spiritual gifts is to learn how God has gifted you to participate in the works that he's prepared for you. That's what the Bible says. And there are four different gift lists in the New Testament. Over 20, uh, not over, 20 gifts total. Nobody has every gift. Everybody's got some gifts. And if you want to learn more specifically what they are, you can go to Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, right here in Ephesians chapter 4, or 1 Peter 4. And when you get to 1 Peter 4.10, you're going to see that God has given, again, everybody a gift according to his grace. Do we receive that grace? Do we understand that not only we've been saved from our sin, but we've been saved for the works, that the grace that saved us is also the grace that gifts us? This is a beautiful opportunity for us. And we're going to be held accountable. You can go to uh, Matthew 25 in different places, and Jesus tells parables and different people write on it in Scripture that if we don't steward what God has trusted to us, if we're afraid of how he's going to react or afraid on our return on our investment, then there will be accountability for that. That the king who gives talents and gives gifts to his people expects us to sow this seed with wild faith. Now, Vern Porthris has written a lot of good stuff on spiritual gifts. He would call, I'll use his category for all the spiritual gifts of the church, these are called general gifts for the people. And general gifts need to be discovered. How has God wired you? They need to be developed. How can you grow in them? They need to be deployed. And those last two often go together. Now, you heard Carrie pray about our civic duty to vote this week or next two weeks. And we want you to vote. Get out there and vote. Use your civic duty. And every time, maybe some of you already have, but every time you see a sign telling you who to vote for, I want that to remind you of something that is a far greater duty than voting. 
and that is discovering the gifts God has given you. You see, we vote for who are, gonna, who are the men and women that are going to lead our country, and we should do that. But more than that, we are a part of a family where Christ is our head, Jesus is our king, and he has showered us with grace, helping us to discover who he's made us to be by the power of his Holy Spirit so that we can develop those gifts and deploy them, stewarding for his kingdom. And so when you think about voting and you see these signs to vote, you go do it. But I want to remind you of our shape test. <laughs> the shape test is, uh, is, a, is a test that we have online. If you get our emails, they're all in our emails. Some of you are probably annoyed by it. But take that shape test. It'll take you 15 minutes to discover the gifts that God has given you. The leader's job is not to do everything, but the leader's job is to equip people to discover their gifts, develop them, and deploy them. Now, the works of ministry that are mentioned in this passage. You see, that's the next thing in verse 12. Equip the saints for the works of ministry. What are these works of ministry? These works are for everybody who belong to God. Do you hear me? That is you. Everyone is part of the priesthood of believers. So since it's National Art Day, did you know that? I saw it on my calendar. I thought I'd use a, a, an art uh, rendition to illustrate this. This is a picture of an auction. Uh, this is a painting by Picasso. It's a guy. It's a painting called Le Rêve. Le Rêve. I don't know how to pronounce it. The French to pronounce it. Le Rêve. Yeah, I, I know. I'm going to get so many corrections from that. Bring it on. It's okay. I can take it. But it was Picasso, and I know this for a fact. He painted his mistress, and this thing went on auction in 2001. It sold for $66 million. What? The guy who sold it was celebrating? True story. And when he moved his arm like this in front of the painting, his elbow hit the painting and it ripped it. A six-inch tear. The auction sale was canceled. And the man who did it felt, well, I got a $66 million elbow, but that kind of stinks, right? Rather have the cash. Is, is a work of art ruined when it's ripped like that? Well, the answer in this case is no. Because this guy hired a team of people. He paid ninety dollars to $100,000 to have that painting restored. Over a decade later, it sold again, this time for $155 million. At the time, it was the most expensive painting ever to be sold. Here's what we can learn from that that restored masterpieces can actually be worth more. And when you want to know what the work of ministry is, it is to participate in the restoration of the masterpiece of our creator who created this world very good, but all of creation, it has been punched by the elbow of sin. And every person and every part of society has experienced a ripping and of a tear. And he paid a price far greater to offer an opportunity for restoration. Not a team where he paid ninety dollars to $100,000, but Christ came and he paid the full price himself, giving his very life so that in his death, those of us who are dead can find life. So that in our, his brokenness, those of us who have been ripped apart can find restoration. That in him entering the darkness of the grave, those of us who live in darkness can be brought out into the marvelous light that is the finished work of Jesus Christ. Friends, 
That is the reality of restoration, the works of ministry that Christ calls us to do, to look at crisis, opportunities, and casualties that are cascading from that in the same way that he looked at the world. The father didn't reject the world after the elbow of sin went into it and ripped apart the shalom of his design. His compassion rose up in him. He so loved the world that he gave his son. He went to the brokenness. The works of ministry of God's people are not to run, to hide, to 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 get in a corner or a closet and say, I don't want to see any of the brokenness of this world, but love compels us to move towards the ripping of God's shalom and reweave salvation and restoration with Christ at the center. Do you hear me? Those, those, that, those. That's the work of ministry. That's what we're doing in our church with the restoration, uh, the redeeming the crisis task force. That we believe that the gospel is so powerful that the casualties that are cascading down from the COVID-19 health crisis that are indiscriminately affecting everyone cross-sectorally, we believe that the church is made for this moment and that God wants to use you to reweave the masterpiece of his artwork. He calls you a masterpiece. You are God's workmanship. Paul did it. That word is where we get the word poem, this artfully crafted design by an author or a creator. That's you. And he wants to restore you and use the gifts he's given you to restore this world. Now, here's what's interesting. He starts with the works of ministry, and look at the end of verse 12, for the building up of the body of Christ. He calls us, he calls the church to begin at home. We can't give away what we don't possess. And discipleship and leading others is all about discovering our divine design and developing those gifts and using them in the service of the church to build up the body. A healthy body is one that's moving. A healthy body is one that has a mission. An unhealthy body is one that is stagnant. It is one that's bedridden. It's one that can't move and doesn't see purpose in life. So to use our gifts in the body is a logical first application. Now, I want you to imagine an FPC family that is so overflowing with people discovering and developing and deploying God's gifts that we have to have a waiting line for people who want to help in our children's ministry. Could you imagine people that have such a gift of service that they, they want to go down and serve the, the most vulnerable ones among us? Or what about people that have the gift of hospitality? What if we had the problem of too many ushers? <laughs> Not the case. <laughs> Welcoming people to church. Or what about our high school ministry, our university ministry, and young adults? Well, what if we said, hey, all of you all, like we don't have enough capacity to train everybody who's eager to use the grace God has given you for the glory in people's lives as you lead others. We got to get a waiting list here. <laughs> it's too many. Imagine that. That's a healthy body. And what would happen from that? It would overflow. That would overflow to all of our neighborhoods, all of our relationships, all of our families, the places we work and where we live. And you would just see the witness of the gospel. I mean, could you imagine if our, our mental health task force team were, were, were so overwhelmed with volunteers that if we had, yes, yes, we have a mental health task force team. And yes, there is a spiritual gift of, of health, help and healing. And could you imagine that at this time in our country, where we have rising mental health numbers that are so desperate that the church actually discovered 
all of these folks that had this gift and said, we want to be a part of restoring and renewing. That would be beautiful. It would be powerful. So take the shape test. <laughs> the third thing we see is the unity and maturity that becomes the measure. God gives a diversity of gifts to leaders. You're all leaders. And God, leaders are called to cultivate a diversity of gifts in the church. But unity and maturity are the real measure of these gifts. You know, it may just be, it may just be that we don't understand the gospel deep enough. And we don't really love God enough to want to love his body this way. It could be that. Sometimes that is with me. I love myself and my own agenda too much. But the opportunity to really love Christ and his body, is we're going to see that it leads to deeper unity. Verse 14, we're just going to walk through these last verses. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and from by the waves. Immature, underdeveloped people are not strong enough to withstand storms, strong winds, and unstable environments. Mature people in their faith, built on the rock of Christ. He's our cornerstone, the foundation of his word. Mature folks aren't tossed around and moved around. We have strength and stability. It shows our maturity. We understand that our hearts fully rest in the hand of our loving Father. That nothing can take us from his love. And no matter what storms we have, we know that there is a lighthouse that we're going to. And that light of the person and work of Jesus Christ is stable and not going anywhere on his unchanging word. We say it every week, but do we really believe it? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. The sands of time cannot change the unchanging God and his word. And the mature believer is going to be strong in that. But the, how do we grow up into that? Well, look at verse 15. Rather, <laughs> rather than being tossed by storms, Rather than allowing social unrest to send you off your game, rather than allowing the watering down of truth and the craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather than all of that, speak the truth in love. And you grow up in every way into him that is the head. Rather than be tossed around, Grow up. This is what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 to 6 1, that we now must be mature in Christ, moving from the elementary teachings of our faith. That we speak love in truth. We speak truth in love to one another. You've got to understand, friends, there is an enemy that wants to divide the body. There is an enemy that wants to derail what God is doing. There is an enemy that wants to discourage you and depress you and have you live in darkness. And this is why Paul ends this letter talking about spiritual warfare. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against darkness and principalities and powers of this present evil age. This is why later in chapter four, Paul's gonna say that you don't give the enemy a foothold in your communication. And what do I say to people who look at other people and say, that person is my enemy? 
that all my problems in life or all of the problems of our culture, it's that person's problem? As if replacing people solves all the problems or eliminating people? You know what I say? I say what Paul says. Grow up. Grow up. Speak the truth in love when it comes to warfare and division. A diversity of gifts should be celebrated. Unity in the body, prioritized. I had a friend call me this week. He's been a pastor for 30 decades. Not 300 years. <laughs> he's, been a past, 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 he's been a leader in a church for three decades. That's 30 years, and I've just been exposed. My spiritual gift is not math. <laughs> he said to me, he said, Mitchell, I've never seen spiritual warfare like this. I've never seen people misunderstanding people in the church. I've never seen people fighting for division like they are, not giving the benefit of the doubt, reacting just completely disproportionately to the situation. We talked for a while, and I identified, I said, I'm seeing a lot of the same stuff. I said, Todd, what are you doing about it? He said, I'm praying the same thing every day. I pray that you'll pray for me. And I was fascinated by this. He said, please pray that I have compassion. Please pray, 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 please pray that I have humility. Please pray that I have wisdom. And then he said, please pray that I'll speak the truth in love. He said, I'm spending more time moving towards people over coffee and on their back porch than I ever had before so that we can speak truth in love. That's maturity, moving towards the brokenness, towards the crisis, executing the gifts God has given them as a shepherd, as a teacher, as an evangelist, gospeling his people. The third measure that we see is the one. We have a healthy body. Everything, verse 16, from whom Christ, the whole body is joined together. We're one, held together in every joint, which is, again, equipped. Each part working properly. Unity in Christ is the sign that the grace of the gifts of Christ are being stewarded faithfully and fruitfully in our midst. From Christ comes the body. Through Christ, all of the joints are held together. Everybody has a role, and it is for Christ that we live, every part working properly. And if you don't know how you're supposed to work and don't know your gifts, and you can't work properly. You're going to be a pest. So I want to encourage you to take the shape test. If you've already taken the shape test, oh, that's old hat, Mitchell, I did that years ago. Please share with us your results so that we can put them in our data bank. And if you say, well, I can't remember our results, I'll say, are you really developing the gifts God's given you? Let's do this together. Let's grow together in one step. And, and you're going to realize this. One, we have tremendous limitations. Nobody has every gift. Nobody has all the same parts. I need you. If I'm going to faithfully serve Christ as a part of this body, I need you to know how he wired you, your divine design. And you need me so that we can faithfully steward this moment if we're really made for this moment. But secondly, what we'll discover is not only our limitations, but also the unlimited nature of God's grace and God's love. The powerful picture of grace upon grace. Where if you're anything like me, you look at how God wired you like, man, I haven't been living that way. I've been settling. And you don't hear a voice of condemnation. 
hear the voice of a loving Heavenly Father that says, I'm glad you're home. Come on, let's go love some folks. As the Father loved the world, sending his only Son, so now the Father loves the world by sending the body of his Son. Christ is our head. We are his body. We're made for this moment. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the power of your work and your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace upon grace that remakes us and remakes us. We thank you that you have equipped all of our leaders with a diversity of gifts, and we have the opportunity to equip the saints for works of ministry. Lord, I pray that you would protect us from the enemy that would love to divide and discourage and derail what you're doing, and that your Holy Spirit would speak new life into us. Lord, we long to love one another as you've loved us and to have that love overflow, that you would use us in this moment to be agents of redemption, ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors for Christ, as if you were making your appeal through us be reconciled to God. Come and please overflow the fountain of your blessings in our lives and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.